Let me now invite you to the book of Hebrews, chapter 9. And while you're uh, finding that, two quick things. First of all, a new members class, as um, as has already been announced this afternoon, it doesn't obligate you to a thing, um, but it is required if you ever have a notion that you might want to be a part of this church family. So this afternoon, come be with us. Uh, if you haven't registered, it's no big deal. We'll, uh, we can still accommodate you. So this afternoon, 345. The other thing that I want to mention is that uh, we're facing a very important election. But it's not the one on November the 8th. It's the one on November the, 13th, uh, November the 30th. That's when you will elect the leaders of this church family known as Grace of Anne. Um, as you know, uh, you are the electorate. You are also the, uh, the nominating committee. There is no backroom um, committee arranging who gets nominated. You're it. You do it. And to do it, you, um, you use these blue cards. You know, we have the whole month of October set aside for if you're a member of this church that you can nominate. Here's what you need. Uh, just uh, if you're a member here, nominate a man that you think qualifies for the office of elder on this blue card. I've got several up here, but I think they're also in your, um, on the pews as well. So um, you've got a, you know, nine days left, ten days left. What is that? Eight, nine days, I guess. You can do it today. You can give it to me. You can put it in the offering plate. You can put, well, I guess you can't do that. You can put it in the repository. Um, but we're going to get that done before the 31st. I, one, of the thing, one of the questions that I get asked frequently is, who is it that is rotating off you know, we have a rotating eldership, which means that people serve for three years, they're off a year, and then they have to be renominated and reelected to come back on. But people want to know, who is it that's rotating off now, this year? Here, here's the four names that are rotating off this year. Pat Scholes, Alan Greer, Will Albritton, and Gary Bynum. Those are the four guys that are rotating off. They've thir- served three years. So those four men are rotating off, but there will be five um, vacancies because we're expanding the session from 12 to 15. And this is the last year that we'll have five. Well, uh, this will be the last expansion year. Um, so there'll be five openings, um, and the four men rotate. I hope, I hope that's clear. But we'll have a congregational meeting on the 13th of no- excuse me, of the 30th of November, where you will elect uh, from the list of names that you nominate. Okay. Now, um, grab your Bibles and let's um, let's read uh, the text. Uh, <clears throat> pardon me. In Rome, in, in uh, Hebrews chapter nine, beginning at verse twenty-three. I'm going to do something that I don't like to do, but I'll explain why next week. I'm going to stop right in the middle of a, a paragraph, but um, you'll understand better next week. Uh, Hebrews chapter 9 at verse 23, and it reads like this. Thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly, as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood, not his own. 
For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, this word, this endures forever. Guys, we return to our study of the book of Hebrews. We've been away from about, about six weeks now, uh, but we resume it with this text. And uh, as we start, as we, as we resume our study, I want to start by asking you to turn over to Isaiah 59. And I'm going to read one verse, and then I'm going to ask you a question. It's pretty, uh, pretty simple, and, um, and it relates very uh, uh, directly to what we're going to study in Hebrews 9. So keep your finger in Hebrews 9. This is out of Isaiah chapter 59, one verse, verse 2. And it reads like this. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Now, guys, according to that, it's pretty simple. What is it that has separated us from God? Pretty clear, isn't it? Uh, you can call it iniquities or sins. They're, they're both they're just those words are used interchangeably. But it is our sin that has separated us from our God. Now, go back to Hebrews chapter 9. You'll notice that the last text that we looked at six weeks ago, the last word of the text in verse 22 is the word sins. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. You know, that's the thing that separated us from God. So this text opens up like this. Verse 23. Thus it was necessary. What was necessary? Well, we'll see it in just a minute, but in a, in a verse and a half, uh, in verse 22 and 23 or so, uh, there's some language in there that may confuse you, and it's only, he, all he's saying there is that the, the temple in Jerusalem is simply a model of the one that was in heaven. Um, so, though you may not understand that whole thing completely, this much we do understand. It is our sin that has separated us from God. You know, it's, it's funny how a little word, S-I-N, can mean so very much, but it does. It's that thing, sin, that has separated us from God. And because of sin, it was necessary for Jesus to appear, says verse 24, to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Because sin has separated us, because of that situation existing, it now becomes necessary for Jesus to appear, not in the, the model in Jerusalem, but in the heavenly one, in the presence of God, on our behalf. To do what? Look at verse 26. He has appeared once for all at the end of the ages 
to put away sin. That separating thing, that thing that separated us from God, it was necessary for him to appear in the presence of God to put away sin. Pardon me. He didn't try to put away sin. He did put away sin. You know, that, that thing that separated us from God. He appeared, and by the way, notice it doesn't say he was born. He appeared. It says it twice in verse 24 and 26. He appeared to put away sin. Not so that we could wear a WWJD bracelet or not so that he could set us an example or that he could reveal to us the love of God. The liberals love to put that stuff out front. It's not out front. It's in the back. Jesus appeared not to live but to die. Guys, around here, we don't preach Christ. We preach Christ crucified. He didn't put away sin by his example. He didn't put away sin by his teaching. He he, he did not merely put away the stain of it or the filth of it or the pollution of it. He put away sin itself. All of its various shapes and sizes and forms and degrees. He put it away. And because he he did, all of that other stuff, like the filth and the guilt and the, the stain of it, that went with it. The Old Testament sacrificial system dealt with sin. Christ appeared to put it away. Okay then, how? How did he do that? Again, look at verse 26. He has appeared once and for all at the end of the ages... To put away sin, look at it, by the sacrifice of himself. The sacrifice was himself. There was no third party. He didn't get any help. And the effectiveness of that sacrifice is grounded in the nature of the sacrifice itself. Folks, had I offered to sacrifice in your behalf, it wouldn't have done you any good. But because of the nature of this sacrifice, himself, he has accomplished the putting away of sin. Notice one more thing. He did that once. He did it so well that it, there is no need for it ever to be done again. Notice how the text, how the sentence opens. It says, but as it is, the author is making a comparison. Notice the word repeatedly right above that. As it is, He did it once, not not like those other guys who every year, annually, over and over again, they brought that blood that was not their own, they brought that guilt blood stuff. Not that! He's offered himself. 
once. Once and for all. And because of the infinite value of that sacrifice, it never need be offered again. That work of putting away sin is finished. It's completed. He never does a work halfway. You remember, he hung from the cross and said, it is finished. He wasn't talking about the fact that his life was over. He was talking about the fact that his work was done. Later on in chapter 10 of Hebrews, we're going to see that he sat down. Well, he sat down because there was nothing else to do. Because everything that needed to be done, he has accomplished. We don't have to, like Moses and all of the Old Testament saints, look forward to the coming of the putting away of sin. No, no. It's been put away. It was done. It was completed. And notice in the text it says, on our behalf, my sin that separated me from God, making it necessary for him to appear in the presence of God so that my sin could be put away. And he did that once. Now guys, uh, I think that's the message of the, of the little paragraph. But, but why... Why should that matter to us? Why is understanding that so important? Well, let me tell you a couple of three reasons. Number one, does your past sin still haunt you? You know that stuff you did in college? The stuff that you did in your marriage a couple of years back. Does it still overwhelm you? The stuff that you don't want anybody else in the room to know about? The skeletons that hang in your... Does it, does it still haunt you? Then ladies and gentlemen, you have come to the right place. Because those of you who are in Christ Jesus... This text has a bit of good news. It has a lot of good news for you. He has appeared in the presence of God on our behalf to put away sin. You know, there's a statement in, in Isaiah 38 where, where Isaiah is speaking and he says about God, and I'm quoting, you have cast all my sins behind your back. And Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon, one of my heroes, Spurgeon was, was commenting on that 
Isaiah 38 passage about you have cast all my sins behind your, my, my, behind your back. And, and Spurgeon said this, tell me, where is that? <laughs> where is God's back? Is, is there any place that is behind the back of an omnipresent God? It must be, said Spurgeon. Nowhere. Yes. The same place my sin is. It's nowhere. It's gone. Guys, you know, there's such a thing as fingernail polish. And then there's such a thing as fingernail polish remover. And once the fingernail polish has done its work, that stuff is gone. Gang, um, I say this I say this cautiously, but even though your sin was twice as bad, and I hope it isn't, Jesus has appeared to put away sin once. You know, I, I wish I had more time to, to develop this, but I, I did do this on a Wednesday night uh, a couple of months ago. So I'll, I'll try to do it quickly. In the Old Testament, the nation of Israel, um, as a part of her political organization, or her religious political organization, provided what was known as the cities of refuge. There were six cities in the nation of Israel in the Old Testament, uh, three on one side of the Jordan and three on the other, into which someone could flee if they had been guilty of killing someone accidentally. You know, you're out in the woods and you're chopping down a tree and your axe head flies off the handle and hits the guy next to you and kills him. At that point, revenge could be taken on you by his closest um, uh, relative. So these six cities existed into which you might run to be delivered from what was called the avenger of blood. <clears throat> and once you were inside one of those cities, he couldn't get you. And when it was established that the, that the killing was not premeditated murder, but it was an accident, then you could stay in that city the rest of your life and be safe. Or, there was another provision, <clears throat> you could leave that city upon the death of the high priest. Now you know who the high priest was. He was kind of the Pope of Judaism. He lived in Jerusalem. And, and um, uh, let me give you a name. Caiaphas. Caiaphas was the high priest. And so if you were in one of those cities when Caiaphas was the high priest and he died, you were then allowed to leave the city of refuge, return to your hometown and resume your life as normal. When the high priest died. You know, guys, when it comes to some of you in dealing with your own guilt and shame, 
I, I want to I grab you by the shoulders and catch you in the back of your retinas and tell you, did you not hear? Do you not realize, do you not know that the high priest has died? You don't need to live in that anymore. You don't need to live with the, the guilt and the shame of the stuff that you did in college. You're set free. You can go. Because the high priest has died. Did you know that? I do not understand why I constantly deal with professing Christians who still wallow around in the shame of what they did in the past. I'm sorry you did it. But ladies and gentlemen, Jesus has appeared in the presence of God on our behalf to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And he did it once because it was so well done. You know, this debt that you think you still have got to pay because of your, of your sin, I don't know why you still hold on to that. The debt was paid. You know, the first car that I ever bought, um, it was right before Susie and I got married, um, I bought a... Um, a Cutlass Supreme. It was brand new. I had a car that I, you know, uh, traded in and owned this new Cutlass Supreme. It was in 1970. And um, <clears throat> in, in return, I got this coupon book that um, I owed uh, 36 payments of $94.14. So 36 times I had to write a check for $94.14 and send it to whomever <clears throat> to pay for this new car that we drove. But when I finally paid that 36th one, when I finally wrote the 36th check, I never thought about the debt again. Why do you keep holding on to your debt? Has someone not told you? Thy priest has died. Indeed, we all created a debt that we could not pay. And the good news of the gospel is this. It's been paid for you. He appeared in the presence of God on our behalf. put away sin by the sacrifice of himself and he did it once that's why this text is so important or perhaps you say um, well Jimmy I'm really glad that uh, Christianity works for you but you know, it just doesn't seem to work for me. Um, um, I'm happy for you, though. No, no, my friend. Um, 
these words are for you too because it was necessary for you too but, 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 I mean, but Jimmy is that is there not another way no there's nothing else there's no one else who can put away sin you hear people say well you know you need to make peace with God well ladies and gentlemen my peace with God was made 2,000 years ago it was made for me by Christ but that peace can only be had by Christ or through his finished work okay then then how can I share in the benefits and the results of Christ's work well like this you need to run and you need to run as far as away as you can get from anything that suggests or hints or implies that you somehow have offered some kind of contribution to finish up the work that Christ so poorly did run from it and then cast yourself completely on the finished work of Christ I contributed nothing to the putting away of my sin ladies and gentlemen I am so tired of having to have the conversation about baptism and its importance as if to think that if I go out and get baptized that I'm finally saved don't misunderstand me ladies and gentlemen baptism is important but there is nothing that my baptism contributes to the putting away of my sin if baptism could have saved me then why did Christ come at all I need to run from anything that promotes a righteousness of self and cast myself wholly upon the finished work of Christ one other thing how do you intend to compensate God for all your sin this text says that he appeared once to put away sin but I need to remind you he's going to appear again and when he comes back he will not be here to put away sin he will be here to judge and then if you have not embraced him even the rocks will not cover you ladies and gentlemen I say to you if your sin has never overwhelmed you then you are the one with the most to fear but if it has then here's the gospel Jesus Christ has appeared in the presence of God once on our behalf to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Let me tell you a story and I'll quit. I think I've told this story before. I'm, I don't know. Um, it's about my hero, Spurgeon. 
but when Spurgeon first started preaching in the late 1850s um, in London, he, the, the crowds grew so fast, so big, that they moved from the first location that he was in, I mean within almost months, and they moved into another location, the Metropolitan Tabernacle, and it quickly filled up, and so they had to get out of it and expand it, make it bigger. So um, they, they temporarily got out, and, and they expanded the Metropolitan Tabernacle, and, uh, where he preached for years. And um, on, the, on the Saturday before the Sunday that they were to return to the building, you got it? The construction project's over. They're going to move in on the Sunday. But on the Saturday prior to that Sunday, Spurgeon went over to the, to the church to uh, test the acoustics. And so he, he got in the pulpit and um, uh, just, again, to test the acoustics, he said this, Behold! The Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. And unbeknownst to him, up in the balcony, there was a workman who was finishing up some minor details of his job. And he was on his, on his knees, and Spurgeon never saw him. And so Spurgeon, again, said the same thing. Behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. And the workman stood up. And he said, Dr. Spurgeon, may I speak with you? He came down from the balcony, and Spurgeon led him to Christ. Because while he was up in that balcony, ladies and gentlemen, God granted him the eyes to see that it was only in Christ where sin was put away. Have you seen that? Have you ever seen the great beauty of a Savior who appeared in the presence of God on our behalf to put away sin by the offering of himself once? Once and for all. Our Father, I, I do pray that you will do that very thing here that you did in that empty sanctuary on that Saturday. That you will uh, use this text, the great beauty of it, to open the eyes of men and women who, who have thought that there was some other way to deal with the thing that separates us from you, that they could somehow manipulate you into looking the other way over their sin. Would you convince them, O oh God, that there is only one way that sin is put away, and that is through the finished work of Jesus Christ. Lord, for the rest of us who know that, who have embraced it, and yet still wallow around, in the shallow pool of our own shame. Would you set your people free from that? Would you cause them to see that because of the death of the high priest, I need no longer ever again be troubled by the guilt and the shame that my sin produced? Speak to them, O oh God, 
and tell them that they are free to go. Father, if you brought people here who have not yet met our Savior, do for them what you did for that workman. Do it for Christ's sake. In his name we pray. Amen.